Welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. This podcast is for anyone in the Australian financial planning ecosystem with a focus on life risk insurance. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just starting out, I think you'll get heaps of value out of this podcast. I'm your host, Phil Thompson, and I'm a life risk insurance specialist, and you're listening to My Risk Advisor. Hey there, today I'm really excited to sit down with a friend of mine, Chris Matlock, who is a general manager at MoneyWise Personal Financial Management. Now, Chris, over the span of his career, has built up a really successful corporate career. And then several years ago, he took the brave step into moving into the financial advice space. So we have a sit down and chat about that move, how we prepared to move into advising and the things to think about. And then, you know, how he actually joined and became a partner at MoneyWise. So I know you'll get heaps of value out of this. But before we get started, we couldn't do this podcast without the support of Zurich and OnePath. So I just want to start by saying thank you. Zurich and OnePath are your partners in life and are also proud supporters of this My Risk Advisor podcast. Thanks for joining me, Chris. Really appreciate you coming on the My Risk Advisor podcast. So let's just start off by, for anyone who doesn't know you, like just a snapshot of your career to date. What does that look like? Yeah, thanks, Phil. And thanks for having me, mate. It's great. Yeah, so um, Bachelor of Business at, at uni, in accounting, actually realised I didn't want to be an accountant for the rest of my life. And so I took the first elective in financial planning that was ever offered in the industry at RMIT. Yeah, cool. Um, and I met a really cool lecturer, um, a lovely guy now that's passed away actually, Magdi Stefan, who some people, your listeners may know, and a beautiful man who encouraged me and the others. Only a small number of us took this, this elective but we just fell in love with it. So, and he was getting guest lecturers along uh, from yeah. the industry, and and that just sort of gave us even more um, of an insight into the industry, and really helped for me consolidate that that was quite likely what I wanted to do. So, so that's how it started. Um, and I actually asked. I was networking with all the, the guest lecturers that were showing up. And eventually one of them, I was saying, how do I get a job in this industry? I'm a young guy. You know, everyone's got grey hair. How do I get a job? And he finally, one of the the speakers referred me to a group, a self-licensed boutique group on St Kilda Road um, called Financial Resources Group. Uh, And thankfully I went and saw them and they said, yeah, we'll put you on as a, General Dogspod, client services, you know, learn how to para plan, write newsletters for client, all that sort of stuff. And yeah. so that's how I got started in the industry. Yeah, cool. And then you went from that small um, boutique firm and then you yep. moved into corporate world. Yeah. So um, so then I was asked um, by a recruitment group to join um, a larger licensee group called Securitor. So it was part of the Seal Corp group which was the Asgard uh, Asgard business, which was later yep. sold to St George Bank. Yeah, moved, so, moved a few places. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so joined, joined there, um, got a lot of experience in starting to see other advice businesses and, and how, how they, you know, how they worked, um, how do you grow them, how do you help grow them, um, became a business development manager in that group, was promoted into that role and spent some some lovely time, you know, doing that work and, and understanding 
advice businesses and the and and the difficulties and rigors of advice and how and how to grow small businesses. So yeah, it was good experience. From there, I, I went on to some similar roles, but in regional roles, so multiple states, uh, and then into some some national roles um, as well. So so I got a lot of exposure to advice businesses all over the country, um, which was a beautiful learning you know experience for me. Um, and was building on my overall understanding of the industry, um, the opportunities, the challenges, all that sort of stuff. So, so I worked for brands like um, like ING, um, the AXA Advice Groups, the Charter Financial Planning, those groups. Um, was state manager of a group called Garrison's Financial Retirement Specialist, which was then ultimately sold to Challenger International. So. Yeah, and then finished my corporate life at MLC in, you know, a, a pretty significant state role there because that was a, a really large business, um, you know, with all their advice groups. So Yeah, cool. So, so you've gone from, you know, national positions, state positions, and you decided, you know what, I want to be an advisor. <laughs> Run me through that thought process and um, and how many days in total did you regret doing that? Um, <laughs> going from, from a secure, um, not easy job, but secure job. Yeah, regular salary, all that sort of stuff. Good into, bonuses, yeah. Yeah, doing, doing your own thing and, and getting down and dirty like the rest of us advisors. Yeah, yeah. It was um, – so by that stage, it had been 15 years probably in corporate life, so – I'd felt I'd learned a lot. I'd built some really amazing networks, you know, with a lot of great people. Um, and for me, it reached the point where I felt like I was too far away from the end consumer and what the industry was all about, which was about advice. Yeah. And so I was doing a lot of corporate meetings, a lot of compliance meetings, reading 60-page, you know, PowerPoint decks, um, just you know, just pillar to post with all that sort of stuff. And so for me, I reached the point where I probably had enough of that. And and I, I think the key thing for me was probably seeking the next stage of fulfilment from a career perspective. And yeah. I felt that I could find that in uh, being belly to belly with consumers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that, that what you just said, being too far from the end consumer, um, and uh, being on the advisor's side, I look at some management decisions within companies, you know, mm. and you're just like, you, not only do you not seemingly understand the end consumer and their needs, but like us as advisors, as your clients, you don't understand our process and, you, you know, we're closer to you than the actual end consumer. And it's, it's really interesting when I look at some management decisions like, why did you think that was a reasonable decision to make? Um, and you're right. Sometimes they're just too far away um, from from the you know advisors or or the the end clients. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think my, most of the organisations had had and have the best intent, but it's just that they get to a scale um, where sometimes they also that the the real feedback from the grassroots doesn't end up coming back up through, you know, BDMs and PDMs and yeah. these important people that are on the ground, it doesn't necessarily reach the decision makers. Yeah. Because there's so many layers it's got to go through. And as you know, if you if you 
tell a message to one person, they tell it to the next person, the message often ends up being completely different to what That's it was right, when yeah. you first started it. <laughs> you may have been unpleased and then by the time it gets to the top, everyone, everyone loves yeah. the process and, <laughs> yeah. and the thing. And hence your comment around yeah. how did they make that decision and maybe the information they got was uh, just completely different to yeah, what it yeah. started out as. So. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and from my point of view, I always try and as grumpy as I can be sometimes with insurers, I always try and go, well, at the end of the day, as long as we understand that they're they're not trying to make our job worse. Like they're, we're all trying to do the right thing. It's just, uh, you know, different perspectives and, and the point of view um, that, we're, that we're all kind of come from. So, yeah. yeah, help us understand going from that, you know, that, that regular paycheck, how did you go through that process working out, you know, you know, do mm. I want to start my own firm on my own? You know, how did you go through that process? Yeah, it's a really good question. And look, it was very considered uh, because, you know, I had a family, mortgage, you know, kids, um, you know, lots of important things to be mindful of. So, so for me, I spent, I just wanted to spend some time networking. So I, I made sure, and it'll be different for everyone that goes on this journey, but I, I certainly, I think the timing was right for, for Simone and I as a family in that we're in a financial position where we could absorb um, time with no income um, and some time potentially with lower income um, whilst I made that transition. Um, so that that was actually, you know, a really important factor. So when we made made the decision and pulled the trigger, um, yeah, I just spent time networking with some of the best people I knew around the industry. So I think I, I think I mentioned to her, I think I did about thirty five to forty networking meetings. I wasn't asking for a job, wasn't even looking for a job really. I was just yeah. seeking to understand, um, you know, what good people in the industry thought was going on in the industry moving yeah. both now and in the future. So, and it, they were just some of the best discussions like gaining insights, you know, from, from industry super funds, from the fund managers, from other advice groups, from people outside the industry. Yeah. Um, I just, it was just such a helpful process and that was probably over the space of about three months Yep. Uh, so oh, once once you had left, yeah, already yeah, once left. yeah, once I'd left, yeah. Um, so because I was quite clear about the decision to leave. Yeah, yeah. And and just touching on that decision, did you were you you know spending three years preparing and deciding? Yeah, I'm going to leave. Let's prepare for three years. Was it a, a six month window? Like, what does that look like? And and I guess looking back now. Yep. What do you think you did really well in that preparation prior to leaving? And what would you, um, you know, think you could have done better? Okay. Uh, yeah, so it was probably a shorter time frame for me. Um, even though it had been boggling around in my mind a, a, for a little while, I really started to feel strongly about it probably only six months out from the actual decision. Yep. Um, so, so for me, it was, it was actually, it was not like a bolt of lightning, but it, there were a number of both opportunities and challenges in what I was involved in. Um, and I think it all just came into a, you know, a crystallization or a catalyst, um, that, that, you know, made it easy for me to make that decision. So, so I think probably, 
even though I made it work, um, probably what did I learn? Um, in an ideal world, you probably could have taken a little longer to, you know, to consider it and probably move some of the pieces into place. Yeah. Um, Prior to saying, hey, here's my resignation. Yeah, without correct. Having correct. those networking meetings on someone else's time instead of on your own yeah, time. Yeah. Spot on. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's probably a key learning. Um, but also too, honestly, absolutely no regret. Yeah. Um, no, no regret. And, and I think the other thing is really important that you, if you have a partner um, or a spouse that you're really on board with it together. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting um, that, yeah, making sure your partner's, your partner's on there because I've seen, I've seen, you know, other people in the industry working in, in institutions and they're thinking about leaving and I just said like, How's your marriage? <laughs> like, quite honestly, like, how is it? And and they're like, oh yeah, not not great, or you know, it's okay, but yeah. And I was like, sort that out because you just you're gonna throw this massive spanner in the works, and and it's it's gonna make everything so much more difficult. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that point about making sure your partner's on board, yeah, um, is what I've seen externally and myself with with Kate and my wife, yeah, um, who's been hundred percent behind me, going yeah, do some dumb things, take some risks, and yeah, you know, if we need to move into parents, then you know, so be it. Yep, and I think the other the other learning is too, it's don't don't underestimate for your listeners, don't underestimate um, that it can be really tough financially for for probably twelve to twenty four months, depending on what you end up doing. Yeah. Um, but for me and for us, we'd we'd planned for for a significant drop in income for that period of time. So, yeah. and we the fact that we talked about it, planned for it, knew we could do it. We then could could make that decision confidently, and that and that was great because that never then became a factor for us. If that makes sense. Yeah, which is which is super important in that point in time when you're going. Yeah. What do I want the next? 20, 30 years of my life to look like and having this short-term, you know, money crunch should yep. be the deciding factor of that. Obviously, we all need to eat food and pay some bills, but yeah. it can't be that sole decision maker of, yeah. well, I'll do something that makes us money today. And the other thing too that I think is is a learning, just as I'm thinking more about your question, was I actually also did some consulting during that time. So, it was quite easy to set up an ABN. Yeah. And actually, just do a little bit of consulting. So, um, whilst I continued the networking, um, you know, I, there was a there was a group in the industry that some of you, you know, your um, your listeners might know that do a lot of business broking. And so, I just spent some time with that group doing a little bit of consulting. And so, that was generating some income whilst I was then not under pressure to yeah. explore fully. And prepare fully, you know, for, for making, you know, the right decision. So, so I think that's probably a good learning as well. Yeah. And I mean, w- without going too personal, because I know people can get funny about money and, and you've got to mm. be respectful. I, you know, being financial plan, I ask heaps of inappropriate questions and, <laughs> yeah. and I do in personal circumstances yeah. as well. But, but like, you know, f- as a household financially, did you guys leave yourselves, like were you used to saving quite a bit of money and leaving yourselves with lots of margin prior to leaving anyway? 
Yeah, yeah. Look, um, look. Thankfully, we we both been in pretty successful corporate jobs, so we'd been able to save a lot of money. We had a lot of equity in our home. Um, we'd had, you know, we had we had some cash saved up on the side, um, and we had some other means. We had some shares and you know other bits and pieces yeah. that we could call on if it if it got desperate. So. Yeah. So, you know, I think you need to plan to have a minimum of 12 months, you know, income. Yeah, um, yeah. Just in case. You're drawn from resources yeah, other, than, yeah. other than actual income. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah that is. Yeah, And it's, yeah. you know, being from successful corporate jobs doesn't necessarily, I mean, I'm sure we've worked with plenty of clients who mm. that does not equate to you know excess cash flow and and excess savings and investments often yeah. it's a uh, we're earning you know 400k as a household and you know it's all being spent somewhere yeah um, and so you're leaving yourself that margin is a really good tip for anyone who is in corporate world thinking about leaving going yeah. okay well i can't just keep spending all my money and yep. think about starting a, starting a business or, or going out and taking a risk unless yep. we dial back on our spending. Yeah, and look, people will have leave entitlements and those sorts of things too. So, I mean, you can factor those in too, but it's better to be, you know, just give yourself a good buffer because then I think the difference it makes, Phil, is it's the difference between feeling like you've got to jump at the first or second opportunity that, that comes forward, even though it might not be, the quite the fit for you in terms of what you're really passionate about and what you want to do because you feel like yeah. you've got to be that provider, you've got to provide the income again. Yeah. So I think for me it provided that buffer and that ended up, you know, helping us. I was offered a number of probably four or five different opportunities but and actually, you know, um, with respect said no to those and ultimately made the decision I made um, because I, I knew that that was, you know, the one that would be best for me. So. Yeah, great. Okay, let's let's jump into that next phase of, of your career. Yep. Um, what did that look like? Yeah. So, um, so the way it looked was, I was I really wanted to get back to advice. So, um, I in my networking meetings, I met with a group. Um, yeah, the same group I'm with now, which is MoneyWise, uh, and I'd known the owners of that business for a long time, for probably the best part of twenty years. Um, and actually helped license them when they left the private bank to set up in their own business for the first time. So we'd gone back a long way together. Yeah. Um, and I was just having a coffee with them because I'd known them for a long time and I was in the city, which was nice. And and so it came about because they were in a phase where they were actually looking for another partner uh, and that they had a growth agenda. Um, so... What was great was we were able to take our time and we worked through a really considered number of conversations to make sure we're on the same page, you know, with our families, with our life stage, with our, our values, um, with, you know, how I was actually going to become a partner, you know, how would we value the business, you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff. So we ended up coming up with a really innovative way for me to um, earn some equity in the business by delivering measurable results. Yep. Uh, and and also then being able to match it with buying into the business. So, so I spent the first three years, um, you know, doing the work around the group to help the, some of the different businesses grow. Yep. 
and so and that was that was the earning journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So collectively building that group. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Exactly. And then exactly. there was a a earn in and a buy in as well. Actually, correct. Yeah, and then you and then I was able to able to match it. So, yeah. um, which which was so it ended up um, being I think a really a really good deal for them and a good deal for 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 Simone and I because yeah. you know they got some growth that that they didn't necessarily have the right resourcing or capability for. And so that was delivered and a number of those businesses took off and kept going. Um, And then I was able to transition back into being a financial advisor, which was ultimately what I set out to do. So it probably took me, I was essentially consulting for another three years before becoming an advisor. So it probably took me longer to transition, but in hindsight, it was a great plan. Um, It worked well. Yeah, and 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 both parties delivered, um, and it, it ended up being a you know a really great outcome. And and just touching on that, I mean, it's what external advice did you get throughout that period of time? Like, did you go and speak to you, you know your respective accountants, lawyers? Like, yeah, yeah, what type of advice did you bring in to to yourself personally? Yeah, yeah, good question. So de- definitely spoke to tax accountants. Um, our tax accountants, but also to I, I knew some really good people in the industry that that had a lot of experience in uh, buying and selling businesses. So that that their knowledge was fantastic. Um, and one of the groups um, I mentioned earlier was one of the groups I did some consulting for, so they were fantastic. Um, and so it was just about making sure i think for both parties including the guys at moneywise they were really keen to make sure we did the right thing and 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 did it professionally and and comprehensively and properly and all that sort of thing and so we didn't rush into that like that those discussions probably took 3 months and a number of meetings for us to get to the point where we're like yep this is right this is going to work here's a specific documented plan there's the measurables everyone's happy we're on the same page we're we're ready yes you know we're ready to go so and so i guess you you're saying you did like three years worth of consulting was there a point in time where you're like oh like i'm pretty deep into this this kind of like has to work or else i'm like you know i've got to take five steps backwards and and how did you kind of manage that yeah and and look at that point obviously i wasn't a partner so so that so there was part of the income stream that I wasn't eligible for, so that and so that's that drop in income that I talked about. So yeah, so I sort of I think it, it I think it makes you more determined. I think if you've got the right plan at the outset, um, and you believe in that plan, and you're passionate, and you can see the end goal, and you know that your your partners are committed to it, it makes it easier to you know to to make the journey. Um, yes. um, did it Did it get a little bit worrying or trying or a little bit anxious at times you're thinking oh god can i get the results are we getting the results that you know and are we going to actually make is this going to happen yeah um yeah you do you do have worries so um but ultimately um you know i was able to help the business deliver 
and and the guys were fantastic and they honored the you know the agreement that we'd made together and and that's it yeah at the end of the day it is all like you've got to have a a huge amount of trust being in business with anyone full stop and so yes you know there could be a point where that you know someone could pull the pin and you're left maybe holding the bag or you know you go well i invested you know multiple years into this and i don't have any equity Yep. But, you know, at the end of the day, that is kind of business. You've got to trust who you're in business with and, and when they say, yes, this is our word, you've got to kind of trust that. Yeah, um, and, I think, and so, I, think, I think it's the due diligence. Like you can only – the due diligence is important but also too you can only do it to a certain degree before you have to back yourself mm-hmm. and back them and take a, a, a leap of faith. And yeah. for some people that leap of faith, it's, it's not easy to take. Um, but I think you won't necessarily have it all perfect. You won't dot all the I's and cross all the T's. But I think, you know, that that was a really, you know, do the due diligence, but then you really have to back yourself and, and I was willing to do that. So Yeah, so you said you, you spent like three months or three to four months in the lead up to starting that consultancy within, within MoneyWise. Yep. Like how often were you meeting? Once a week, once a month? Like what did that like actually yeah, look like? Yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was probably once a fortnight because I was still consulting, um, you know, and w- like after we met, each time we met, each of the parties um, had some thinking to do around yeah. the plan, the mechanics, the measurables, how we wanted to look, how it was going to, you know, how we're going to value the business, all that sort of stuff. So we we always had homework we had to do, and we needed some time to think about it, um, talk to our advisors, all that sort of stuff. So we were probably meeting, I reckon, just about every fortnight. Um, so we wanted yeah. we met it, you know, quite a number of times to really make sure it was a solid plan. And then once you'd started consulting and, and started that three-year journey, yep. um, how often were you meeting in respect to partnership? Yeah, so, well, we had the plan. So really then the focus was we sort of put the plan in the drawer because we were confident with it. Yeah. And then it was really about the practice management and business development focus for these other companies that form part of the group. That's right. Okay. So, so it's less about, you know, we're not nitty-gritty about the plan. It's like as long as we hit these metrics and yep. we're all good to go. It then all became about the metrics and, and me applying myself to what we'd agreed yep. we'd needed, we needed to do because each of these businesses needed a different business development approach. Um, some of them were younger and didn't have research ratings. You know, some of them were needed new external referral relationships. There were just, yep. there were, you know, it was there was a number of different mechanics that we had to roll out um yeah i mean that's that's interesting coming into a business so you know i've never worked in corporate um so it kind of fascinates me this corporate life because i would love to (laughs) like i became from a poor starving artist to become a financial planner um so i've i've never earned much money um so but it's (laughs) it's interesting coming from a corporate life someone from the outside thinking that you as a manager in a corporate environment there could be these amazing grand plans but if you're not supported by your managers and the people who can actually give you the yes or no, then there's only so much you can do. So moving into money-wise and doing that consulting work and needing these metrics being hit, at the end of the day, if the partners didn't support you in in your vision and all the things that you were thinking about Mm. executing on, Mm. then you wouldn't have been able to hit those measures. And obviously, they want you to, um, but there is still this kind of a, 
you're still relying on them to empower you to be able to elevate those businesses to that, to hit those metrics. So I guess coming around to an actual question, um, which is good when you're interviewing people, (laughs) but like from your corporate experience going, you know, did you have an experience where maybe you didn't have the support from your managers or you didn't have the capabilities or resources um, to execute some targets and how did you kind of manage that within, you know, um, money-wise to make sure you weren't kind of being, you know, hamstrung? Yeah, yeah, really good question. Um, it's so, long. It was a long question, but we got there in the end. <laughs> I think I can remember it. We'll see how I go. Yeah, like, that's if right. I, if I get off track, let me know. Um, so, yeah, so I think um, there were, you're right, the support to execute was was really, really important. Like, for example, with one of the businesses, it became apparent that we needed to spend and we needed to take that business and that brand to Sydney and spend a lot of time in Sydney. Now, we hadn't budgeted for that. We hadn't budgeted for the airfares, the accommodation, the entertainment, you know, the time, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. So so the I've got to say the guys were fantastic in that, you know, I came to them and said, look, you know, we're going to need to put you know, four or five months work in this, into Sydney for this and it's probably going to cost us 30 grand. Yeah. Um, are, are we still on the same page together? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, and they, they, were, they were brilliant. They said, yep, um, let's, you know, we're confident with the strategy, let's execute and uh, we'll, we'll keep finding the money together and, and, and they were brilliant and they did. Yeah, um, and so, you know, overall you hit your metrics and, and you're a partner at MoneyWise now, but like yep. was there a point where you said, I think we should do this and it just didn't, like the metrics at the end of it in that portion of the business just didn't turn out. Like that 30 grand investment, yep. in financial planning, it kind of takes a while to get to, to get that money back um, when you invest in, in these types of businesses. Yep. Um, was there a point where you say, let's invest in this and it just didn't materialise? Yeah, yeah, actually there was. There was one example which was um, a small funds management business and um, it became apparent that with the way it was structured, um, the fact that um, we couldn't get um, a research rating for it and we couldn't get some other mechanics, the reality was that even boutique licensees, even though it was a brilliant and it had a long-term history on it and it was a brilliant yield fund, um, it was just businesses just couldn't take it on to their APLs. And so it became apparent that after, you know, some investment, time, money, effort, board meetings, all that sort of stuff, unfortunately it just became clear that we were never going to get the distribution growth that we'd hoped for into that business. And so that was a bit of pill to swallow, I think, for all of us because we were so passionate about it. But... I think you've also, as business people, you've got to be smart. You've got to know when to cut, um, you know, cut your effort, cut your losses. And and so we we all had to make a decision to create a different outcome for that business. And that business actually ended up being sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And so, you know, coming from corporate, coming from, you know, uh, building up the group as it is within the, you know, multiple businesses and entities, and then now you're face-to-face sitting with clients, what is it about, you know, the actual delivery of advice and advising retail clients that, that you're passionate about? Um, yeah, I just, I just love people. Um, but, and, and I know you get that in corporate life too, but 
making a difference in people's lives and as a risk specialist now, you know, seeing the difference in people's faces when when they reach that peace of mind light bulb moment um, and then seeing seeing them at claim time or hearing the tears and the hugs and these beautiful moments that you have with clients at claim time. And I'm sure, you know, you've had some now too um, mm. in your business. It's it's just so rewarding, you know, just knowing that you have made a difference in people's lives that is going to potentially save their family, save their business, save them, um, save them from, you know, severe mental health issues or those sorts of things, you know, um, given yeah. whatever's happened to them. Um, it, it's just so cool. Like, it's just a great feeling. And that was the fulfilment piece. I think I was missing. Still doing a lot of great things in corporate life, met awesome people, all good, fine, but you just can't, you can't buy that, that moment, you know, those moments with the end consumer in Australia when when you're helping them do what we do and like you do in your business. So I don't know about you, mate, but I, I just absolutely get a kick out of it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, talk, I mean, we've we've caught up a few times, and but yeah, just run us through that. You said you said recently that you helped a client with a was a two point one million dollar TPD claim, was it? Yeah, a little bit higher. It's about two point two, I think, in the end. Okay, um, I'm ripping them off a little bit. Uh, yeah, two point two mil. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the most challenging claim I've had so far. Um, yeah. um, be- beautiful family. Um, he was a IT executive. Very successful, you know, a um, couple of hundred direct reports, um, two kids under 10, you know, wife in a modest um, job earning 80 or 90 grand. He was, you know, earning sort of 300 plus. So, and he started to develop mental health um, issues. Um, so initially we thought it was temporary and we got him on income protection claim. Yeah. Um but then, unfortunately, it continued. He tried to get back to work, um, st- sort of did that, struggled a bit, came, went back on claim, and then and then he really spiralled. Um, yeah, had reached the point where you know I could only talk to his wife. Yeah, um, and we had to be so careful about about him and caring for him and his state of mind. And yeah, uh, it took it took us twelve months. Um, dealing with his specialists, his GPs, working very closely with the insurer. Uh, took us, yeah, 12 months to work through um, getting him uh, assessed as TPD for mental health, which I think generally speaking the industry is difficult. It, it is a difficult claim to, to yeah. be successful with. But in his case, um, it was really genuine and, and um but it took a lot of work, a lot of work, yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of time. Uh, it's a, by far the most time-consuming claim I may ever do. I don't know. But, um, well, ho- hopefully for, yeah, your, for so, your bottom line, it's the most difficult claim. But, um, um, but look, I'm, I'll never forget the phone call um, and it was during COVID that the, I, got, I got noticed that they were going to pay the claim and... Um, just because we're in COVID and my wife just happened to be sitting, you know, in the same room because we were, we were working from home. And I remember making the phone call and there was just silence followed by tears uh, when he and his wife were on the phone together and 
just that moment, like it just made me emotional myself, like seeing yeah. what a difference it made to them. Um, you know, they had they had about eight or nine hundred thousand dollars of debt. Um, they're under a lot of pressure because her income just couldn't support their lifestyle and, and yeah. their debt and all that sort of stuff. So honestly, it was just it was in a beautiful amazing moment and I, I remember getting teary myself my wife's just looking at me going my god <laughs> she was like oh that was so awesome like yeah um yeah i mean we yeah we paid a claim or we didn't the insurance company mm-hmm. did but yeah but i'll claim it um as mine um but Absolutely. yeah and the client took out a trauma policy four months later had breast cancer and and I remember in the, mm. when I was talking to her, she was like, oh, yeah, I remember umming and ahhing going, oh, do I really need trauma cover? And and it, and it I was looking back at the file once we got the claim because it was so close to policy inception. I was had an internal freak out that we weren't going to get paid. And so I was like, no, everything's all good. The dates are, you know, everything's great. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember her saying to me like how much she was like, and and we don't pressure anyone. Like at the end of the day, I I'm very respectful that insurance costs a heck of a lot of money. So yep. we we don't put this in, you know expectation that you know premiums premiums are cheap. Even though we look at the numbers and go, when you're 25 and you're talking about expensive premiums, like just wait till you're a little bit older and starting to pay <laughs> these. Um, but you know, so we we re, we never put pressure on clients to to go ahead with anything. Mm. But we mm. we you know say that we think it's really important. Mm. But you pay the premiums, and yeah, it took her like you know three months to make a decision to finally go ahead. And even even after it was in place, she was arming and ahhing. Oh, do I really need this? And yeah, four months later, breast cancer and wow, um, six months worth of income protection claims and 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 the tra- full trauma benefit. Um, yeah, and it's just those things that you like. Yes, in in corporate world, you do see the impact on you know on businesses, positive and negative, um, and you see the impact on on the end consumer. But but you haven't been there talking to the client directly and and making that impact. That yeah, as as every advisor, and the reason we do it is because we just love that interaction with the client, and we love actually making a difference um, yeah. on people's lives and going hey. I think this is really important. I'm really passionate about this. I wish you could kind of soak up, you know, some of that passion. I feel like I, I preach to clients sometimes about insurance and um, and and why they should get it. Um, but that, yeah, that's a great story. And and you know, the reason why I got you on is because you know when we were having coffee the other week, and I was like, this would be a great story for anyone who's thinking about leaving corporate life and going, okay, do I want to do it? Because it is hard. It's you're going from yep. a massive paycheck. Yep. Maybe not massive, but a good paycheck. Oh yeah, moving definitely. into yep. um, small business or being yep. self-employed, it is a big hit. Mm. Um, so I guess kind of to start to wrap the, up this discussion, what are your kind of you know tips that you'd have for for those people who are listening who have kind of thought about that as a as a potential avenue? Yeah, yeah. So I think my tips would be if if you're really passionate about it, don't be afraid of it. But but the key I would say is plan for it. Plan for it financially, plan for it in your relationship so that you don't blow up your relationship. Um, plan for it in your networks and have a have a really good feel for what it is that you really want to do and how you might be able to do it. The people you need to talk to. So go and talk to good people, good advisors, your trusted, trusted networks. Take, you know, mm-hmm. listen, ask good questions, listen to advice. 
Um, and then when you do think you've found something, don't rush into it too quickly. Make sure you do the due diligence um, because I think, you know, plan, 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 like the quality of it's like a joint when you do a joint venture. It's the quality of all of the pre-work and all of the pre-discussion and planning that ends up making it making it a success because ultimately things are going to get tough. Not everything will happen as you'd hoped it will. And so things are going to get, there'll be challenges. There'll also be new opportunities and you've got to know how to handle those as well. Um, so I'd say, yeah, just, you know, do those things and, and there's no reason why um, any of your listeners um, can't be successful in the transition, but also be prepared to stay strong mentally. I think that's the other thing. There's a fair bit of mental health gymnastics because mm. there is yep. a really high degree of anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Um, stepping away from two, three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollar packages, you know, to one hundred, two hundred thousand dollar packages. Yeah. Um, so really. Be, you know, be strong, be, be passionate, be clear, be firm and be resolute, you know, in, in your focus and be passionate about the vision you've got and really pursue it with, with gusto, with everything you've got. And at least that way, if you make it, you're going to make it and it'll give you the greatest probability of making it. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't, at least you'll know that you've left nothing on the park. Yeah. You know, like and you say, okay, this one hasn't worked or this this is this has failed for me. But as we know, all the great leaders and leadership um, philosophers will tell you that um, some of your greatest learnings will, will come from your failures. So Yeah. Yeah. And I mean the, there's two things there. I always talk to anyone who's starting self-employment. It's like, oh, welcome to the roller coaster. Um, the highs are very high and the lows are very low. Um, but and it could be, you know, fifteen minutes apart. Um, those two things. So uh, the good thing about being self-employed is is you are just on a constant roller coaster. And ideally, as it as it um, you know, the longer you're in, the the highs become less high and the lows become less low. But it's still yeah. it's still up and down. Um, yeah. And I definitely had some lows. There were some really, really awful times, some times where you're like, oh, no, am I going to be able to do this? Um, you know, what have I got myself into, you know, when the, the sales and the opportunities aren't quite coming through? Uh, you know, it's. You, I think that's when the quality of all of the planning and the pre-work and the discussions and your passion and your vision and your, all those things are so important because you can turn back to those and lean into those mm. and also probably your support network, you know, your friends, your family, you know, your business colleagues, they're all so important. And that's kind of my other big takeaway from this discussion is your you building out networks helped you you get there. You, you had a throwaway comment, you know, very early in our conversation is once I left corporate, I just did consulting. Well, that's not a given. The only reason you can do consulting is if you build those networks and you mm. prove yourself as someone. Oh, hey, Chris, you're not doing anything at the moment. Can you come and consult in our business? Like you wouldn't get that work if yep. you didn't build out that networks and and kind of relentlessly kind of continue to build out that those networks. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I don't think they had Uber and other things back then. But if I didn't have that, maybe I could have driven an Uber. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of scope to, to support income these days, which is great. Um, to finish off our chat, I've just yep. got two questions. Yep. First one is, when do you get a chance to do your emails? Do you do it all through the day, at night, in the morning? What does that look like? Uh, yep. Um, I, I tend to, because of the nature of the work that we're in, 
um, I tend to monitor them every hour for the whole day, but only yeah. because I like to keep the business moving. So, but that gives me enough time to do file work. So I can easily sit down and do a strategy and some file work, you know, in, in 30, 40, 50 minutes, depending on the complexity. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, and then definitely give some attention to the emails. So, but it's a challenge. I, I probably haven't got it perfect, I don't reckon. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, the only one who's got it perfect is the one who doesn't do any emails. That's the only perfect solution. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know how they can run a business. Um, yeah. And, and the next question, do you have an interesting hobby? Uh, yep, I'm a mad keen surfer. So, um, yes, I've surfed um, nearly all my life since I was about 12. Uh, it's how I met my best friend. Um, I've got a broader group of friends I surf with. We've surfed around the world. We've surfed Indonesia four times in remote areas. We've I've surfed the Maldives, been in Hawaii, um, all around Australia. Yeah, so when I'm not with my family and doing that sort of stuff, I just absolutely love surfing. Great. And you live in Melbourne, um, so you must really love it if you get out into, <laughs> yeah. into the beach in Melbourne. Yeah, and I've been, well, I've been going out to urban surf as well, so um, uh, the new wave pull out at Tullamarine. So. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, is that the one that goes up and down, the big pump? Um, well, no, no, this one's different. It pushes out from a corner actually. Okay. Um, but there's two different types of wave pools. The one you're talking about, um, yep, uh, they've got a few of those in America and other places, but the one they build in Tullamarine is different. It, it, it's like two wedges. Yeah, okay. Um, and, and, and it pushes a left-hander and a right-hander out of a huge wave machine. Um, yeah, cool, and you, and you catch a wave on that. And you catch a perfect wave, mate. They're perfect. So well, maybe yeah. maybe we need to go out there. You can teach me how to surf. I'd love to learn. Yeah, that sounds awesome. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much. Um, and if people want to reach out and get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, yeah, just drop me an email at cmatlock at moneywise.com.au or um, reach out on um, 0448-061-078. Perfect. Thanks, mate. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else will get value out of it, I'd love it if you could forward it on to them. And as always, we can continue the conversation in the My Risk Advisor Facebook group. All you need to do, open up Facebook and search My Risk Advisor and I'll see you in there.